Andrea Smith, and we are on episode number 53. Today on the podcast, we are joined by an extra special guest. I met Liza Palmer at the Surrey International Writers Conference. And what I absolutely found fascinating about her is her career both as an author, she works at BuzzFeed, she's an Emmy-nominated writer for her time on Pop-Up Video. Does anyone remember Pop-Up Video the way that I do and I have that love for it in my soul? I hope you do as well. I hope that is bringing you back to your youth. <laughs> it, um, as Liza describes in our interview, she specialized in the aging divas. I It was absolutely entertaining talking to her. So she's an internationally best-selling author of the book Conversations with the Fat Girl and five... Hmm, six other novels at this point. She works for BuzzFeed and she lives in Los Angeles. So we talk about her career at BuzzFeed because how many of us have BuzzFeed filling our social media streams these days? I was so curious what it's like to be a writer working for them and what it's actually like in their offices. We also talk about her time at Pop-Up Video her career in writing, and we also talk about this epic, epic keynote that she gave at the Surrey International Writers Conference, and it was all about figuring out what it meant to her to be a real writer. And you could insert whatever it is into this, uh, you know, figuring out how to be a real parent, a real friend, a real partner, a real insert career here. Liza had this fantastic story that she told of a really rough time that she went through and how she got through to the other side of it. And I have to say, there was not a dry eye in the house. And then she ended it with the Velveteen Rabbit quote, and we all just died inside. It was absolutely fantastic. So I link to uh, that whole keynote, but we talk about it in the, in the interview, but I also link to it in the show notes. Show notes for today can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash five three for episode number 53. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Now, I want to tell you about something really cool that ATB are doing right now to connect and strengthen Alberta's creative community. So they've opened up this thing called the Branch for Arts and Culture, and it's a clubhouse, arts venue, and financial institution for Albertan creatives and cultural workers. So their members have access to industry-specific banking services and career development resources that are designed to help them do their very best work. They understand the challenges that artists face specifically because they're artists themselves. So the branch in Calgary is hosted in ATB's Stephen Avenue location. Their Edmonton venue is running out of the CKUA building on Jasper Avenue. Now I've been seeing some pictures and videos that are coming out of some of the live events from the branch and it looks pretty cool. So I will be linking to that in the show notes also. Now on the Alberta Podcast Network, this is a collection of podcasts of all different types of topics, all from local podcasters. So I am a fan of quite a number of them. There's so much to choose from. I highly recommend that you go to albertapodcastnetwork.com. Again, I will link to it in the show notes and find the kind of podcast that the topic that interests you. So whether it's movie reviews or sports or Bollywood or, you know, branding or whatever your whatever the thing is that you're interested in I guarantee they have a podcast for you so again <laughs> girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash five three to find all of that information and to find the show notes for today so without further ado let's head over to the interview well thank you so much Liza for joining us on the podcast we're really pleased to have you 
Thank you for having me. So I first got to know you as a writer at the Surrey International Writers Festival uh, Conference. I keep wanting to call it a festival, but I want to start. <laughs> it feels like a festival. Yeah, I want to start with BuzzFeed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because, like, for anyone who's ever on social media, BuzzFeed just like dominates our our feeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You started working there in 2015. What brought you? What brought you there? Why do you want to work there? I actually worked at this kind of uh, dovetails in another thing we spoke about is when I worked at hilariously pop-up video, which is where I got the Emmy nomination from. (laughs) I worked with somebody who was looking to develop a scripted department at Buzzfeed for their video department way back in the day. That's because Buzzfeed is constantly innovating and changing. That's not at all what it is anymore, but that's what it started out to be. And at that time I thought it was going to be this temporary thing. Like I wrote novels, like, it wasn't, I thought it was going to be kind of a fun, like, and it just, God, it just turned out to basically turn my entire life upside down, which, and I don't know if I should go in, but I I can go into it more, but it was essentially, it gave me the opportunity to see writing from a completely different viewpoint, this completely different perspective in a way that was completely humbling. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I keep saying like, like I want to say a bad word right now, but it was it was a. Uh, we can mark this explicit. To... That's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was incredibly shitty. Yeah, it was the most it was the most public steep learning curve that I've ever had in my entire life. It's because you think you're a writer in one in one way. There's a certain level of of expertise you think you're going to have in another field, which I think goes across from novels to television or screen or whatever it is, and it goes across the digital, which. I thought because I knew how to kind of craft a story, I'd been writing, I'd been writing books for so long, I would be able to kind of swan in here and say like, you're welcome. And basically what it was was exactly the opposite, which was I had to relearn after six months of basically eating shit, I had to relearn how to do everything. And because of that, my writing has been defibrillated. It has been completely renovated essentially to the point where it's, it's now got a vitality that I think that it had been missing for quite some time. Of course, I didn't know any of this. I thought I was going to have a fun temporary job. I didn't know that I was going to go on survivor for Christ's sake. Um, But it, it absolutely happened that way. Everything from, you know, I had been out of the workplace for 10 years because I had been writing novels. So even stuff like there was no phones on the desks. There was no kind of the coffee machine that I knew, like the entire culture had changed since I had been out of the workforce. So it, nothing was familiar to me. And so it, it became this, it just became this complete upheaval where it begot more than just good writing. It, it filled a, the, a, a completely empty well with, because I think as I got older, I realized that I, you know, I think a lot of us are in this boat, which is when you get older, you kind of, um, you like that you don't have to do, there's nothing new. Like you don't have to, you're never really, you're learning stuff, but not for stake, like, right, you're going to pottery and you're learning it or whatever like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not learning something in this kind of incredibly new way that is like, you're getting like an evaluation. on. <laughs> like, it's not, we, it, there's a, there's a nice solace and kind of living your life. Uh, that's all untrue, of course. Uh, the fact that I learned a ton of new stuff, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. But boy, did it feel like shit. You know, you think you get to a certain age where you know stuff and I just didn't I didn't know anything so it was incredibly 
dramatic. I'll say that. It's interesting because I think so many people will experience that when they go from one same kind of skill set, but they're from one type of industry to yeah. another or, and, yeah. and we don't talk about that. And it's like that, no, we don't. the imposter syndrome that you, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, when... and I think it's also, it, it, we get stuck in these, I think it's like, I, I don't know actually anybody who doesn't kind of talk about their job in a way where they're kind of always kind of got a foot out or they're looking for something else. And I think it's, the fear of exactly what happened to me, which was the six months of eating shit. Like I would basically go home and just go to bed. Like, you know, I, I live in LA. We have an hour commute, all that kind of stuff. So I would get home at like, we go from nine to six. I would get home at like seven. I would, I think I was even eating the same food every night. Like I completely all hands on deck just to kind of get me through these days. And then I would go to bed at like seven thirty or eight. And I would just rinse and repeat. Like it was, it, it, there's a reason we're fighting it. It's not great, you know, it, yeah. but starting something new and, and basically, cause I think what happens is at a certain age, you get, you're climbing up a ladder that you really don't know why you started climbing in the first place. It's just the ladder that was there, or it's a ladder that you thought you wanted to climb at one time, but now you're like halfway up and you're like, this is not what I wanted. But you're like, well, fuck it. I'm all, I'm, I'm already halfway up. I might as well figure out if the view's better at the top. Yeah. And of course it's not, it's the same view. It's the same but the idea of climbing down a ladder and starting up a new ladder with, with unknown destination is it's, it's a formidable, I don't know, idea to even fathom, especially when we're growing up and we have people that we're counting on us and mortgages and um, car payments yeah, and yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I did like uh, my manager was 24 years old. So that's, we're talking you know, that's 24 years old, wearing like shorty overalls, not great, you know, yeah. what, but, but the, the, the real, gosh, the real metamorphosis star, started when I realized that she actually had a lot to teach me. Yeah. Just as soon as I got out of my way and kind of let my ego get out of the way, which oof, that ego was bruised. <laughs> it's, yeah. That's hard for any of us to get out of our way. Right. Right. So and that was three years ago. So and it's just as <laughs> apparently it's just as yeah. fresh as I speak about it now. Yeah. When you're talking about like the huge learning curve that you had to undergo, mm -hmm. like what did that look like? Was that talking to more like learning from more experienced people? Was that how did you bridge that gap? No, I think it was, you know, not for nothing like I, I wrote as a child, but then I basically kind of floundered for much of my you know, I had kind of jobs that didn't really go anywhere. They were like temp jobs. And then I didn't, never went to college and I started writing um, and I wrote a book and, and I started kind of writing as, as it was just, as for most of us, it was a calling. It was something that I loved. I, I, was, I found that I was good at it, that kind of thing. But I actually had never really been taught or thought about it in, a, in a, any kind of way except for, I don't know, in that way that we think about it sometimes in that kind of calling way. Yeah. And when I got to BuzzFeed, it was it was more about trying to figure out the other side of it, which was like, because when you talk about BuzzFeed videos, you are talking about incredibly structured stuff. You are deconstructing idea and down to its little bitty points. Like it's like it's a if it's a six minute video or if it's a six second video, you're still structuring that into an, into the entire Joseph Campbell, you know, heart of darkness. You yeah. are doing it all but it has to be as tight or as ex or expanded or, or whatever it is. And in so doing, I had never had to kind of think about writing 
in any other way except for kind of like the muse and it was more magical and so this was actually a master master's program for me in the mechanics and the beauty and the structure and the basically the the the, the you know the blueprint of writing which i had never actually thought about yeah cuz you know i think for so many of us writing comes naturally to us and so and there's also that thing where we think it's a little bit of a superstition that if we think we kind of drill down into it, it's gonna the, the magic is gonna kind of be deflated or something. That 100% doesn't happen. It only made my writing better. But realizing that I had stuff to learn about writing was invigorating to say the least. It was incredible. Oh, that's awesome. So it basically looked like that, which was basically like we would have to kind of come up with these building these kind of character universes. We would have to come up with all this kind of stuff. And it was mostly, the, the learning curve was mostly about trying to figure out what they call here frames and formats, which is like a frame is basically like when you uh, pitch an idea, right? A frame is a pitch and a format is like, okay, now how are you going to get that idea across? Basically, like, what's, the, what's the video about, yeah. right? And so it's kind of this very deconstructed idea about how to pitch and how to kind of figure out different ways to tell a story. And so it was incredibly comprehensive, but it was, it was boot camp. It was, it was 100% writing boot camp. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. And yeah. now you're in charge of a team. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I am the supervising screenwriter of BuzzFeed studios. So it's basically like BuzzFeed motion picture. They, they're trying to do a studio thing. And then I'm the supervising screenwriter for that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So having, yeah. having gone from, like you were saying, working at home writing novels on your own to now people management like what has been what's been the biggest lesson for you in that it's all it literally is I mean I think if you I I just this entire place has been a hollow deck of like of a gauntlet of my every single character trait that I've ever like ran away from you know we all have that shit about ourselves or we're like "Mm, not dealing with that today yeah you know whether it's like putting up boundaries with, you know, kind of healthy boundaries, saying no to stuff like over planning, like speaking up for yourself, like being in a brainstorm and like having an idea and actually kind of like pitching yourself and all those things that we hate to do, right? You're pushing the corner and it's like, we've all been there. This place is essentially just all of it. Like every single thing about it is that you are, I am, I have boundaries. I have to say no, I have to. And so managing people is all of that stuff. It's, it's a new it's an, it's an entirely new floor of the hollow deck of like, how, how are you comfortable with power? Like, how are you with leadership? How are you at, at telling people, figuring, helping people figure out what they need to learn or guiding them? And that, that kind of like, are you a mentor? Are you a manager? Are you trying to do it for them? Like yeah. all this kind of stuff has been about everything about it, literally every single day. It's, I, it, it, it's an entirely new set of, fun, fun shoots and ladders through my own psyche. It's wonderful. It completely embodied in, in, in what I find in these halls. So it's incredible. It's incredible. But it's everything that I need to learn. And it's everything that I've been running from my entire life completely. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's fascinating. I don't know if you would describe yourself as an introvert or not, but I like so many writers are. So to go from yeah. like, that kind of setting to like, a huge change, right? Mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, it is. I actually don't know. I know that 
I know that I, I love being by myself and I know that I recharge when I'm by myself. Yeah. I also know that along with, I'm sure a lot of other people, I tend to spin in. Um, my grandfather was a, a flyer. Uh, he, he, he was a pilot. He used to talk about spinning in where the, the plane would go in, right? If you crash. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a shorthand in our family for not doing too well. So I know that if I'm by myself too much that I do spin in. So I think this has been kind of a, a, a shot of you actually do like to connect with people. Like you do like to be around people. Writing is so solitary that there is something about filling the well up with new stuff, new yeah. scary stuff. But I think it's the balance of then, you know, taking, taking an hour and going to the coffee shop and just journaling or, you know, how do you then recharge? How do you balance it out? I guess yeah. is, is the other side of it because too much of one is never, never yeah. good. Well, so and when are you fitting in your fiction? Uh, it's it's just wildly unsustainable. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I, it's interesting. And I'm sure, you know, you and everybody who listens to your wonderful podcast knows that it, writing comes in waves, right? So the, yeah. the worst part clearly is the blank page, right? When you're writing the thing. And then you kind of edit it for however long, a year or two years or whatever it is, months or however long, what your, whatever your writing schedule is. So I'm now writing the second book while having, so book seven was written while I was here. And now book eight is being written while I'm here. So essentially what that means is I get up at 530. I, it's wildly unsustainable, get up at 530, get ready, drive to work, which is that there's no traffic at that time or less traffic. So it takes only about 35 to 45 minutes as opposed to like an hour. Get to work at by seven, six forty-five if I can. Seven, then I write from seven to nine, and then at nine I'm at my desk um, already. I work from nine to six. I drive home and then have, drew on myself at night. And then Saturday I give myself Saturday off. Um, I do all my errands, do my wash, go to the market, that kind of thing. See a human being if I can. <laughs> and then Sunday I write all day. And that's just that's just when when something is due, which is like right now. So yeah. right now my edit is due on March 26th. So that's the, that's the schedule that I have. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's brutal, you know, it's brutal. How are you fueling but, yourself? So are you a coffee addict? <laughs> I am a big tea drinker, okay. um, but I don't, and I, I know this is the wonderful thing that I'm sure people have realized as you get older, caffeine tends to not be your friend as much. Um, <laughs> so I usually have tea in the morning and then I'll have one cup of coffee because I just fucking love it. Um, yep. And then I'll have another, maybe one cup of tea, but then I'm water for the rest of the day. And then I, I just go to sleep so early. It's yeah. really, really. Dude, I have a toddler. He goes to bed at 745 and I am not long right. after him. I'm like, yes. Right. My husband calls it living in my bed, like my book or my laptop. Like that's as right. soon as my kid's in bed, I'm in bed. Right. Yeah. Because I think the, also the other thing is I had to look at the stuff that I was staying up for. It's like, okay, so what are you doing? You're watching the office reruns and scrolling through Twitter. Like I, that's not valuable. Like if I was actually doing something with my night, it'd be something different. But if yeah. it's, if I, you know, the, you know, putting my phone in the kitchen and not scrolling through getting off Twitter and scro- not scrolling through and then trying to find something that's actually kind of cool on television, except for just drooling on myself. It's, it's actually looking at how you're spending this time that you're so, you know, so savagely like guarding. It's yeah. like, I don't need to stay up till 10 just so I can watch a show that I honestly, if you asked me the next day, I wouldn't know what it was, you know, couldn't tell you a thing about it. Like, you know, 
trying to catch NCISLA is not, you know, worth not waking up the next day so I can write. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Emmy nomination for pop-up video. <laughs> yeah. Talk to, me, yeah. <laughs> talk to me what that experience yeah. was like. It was, I mean, it's a fugue state. It's, you know, that was, it took six months. I was writing. I did that. I was working there while I wrote Nowhere But Home, which was book five, which was the one about the failed chef that had that to go really home. really well. Yeah. Are you yeah. All, yeah. Yeah. But I was, yeah. And I, and also it's like, it's, it's, I do think there's something with the momentum. Like usually my best books have been written while I've been working somewhere else. I don't know. But yeah, so Nowhere But Home was written while I was working at Pop-Up, which is hysterical. And my, my, my specialty at Pop-Up was aging divas. So I did a lot of the Mariahs. I did Whitney. Um, I did a lot of the Madonnas. Um, it's brutal. It's basically you would get a video and then you would, um, it would have to be this kind of blend of jokes plus, you know, everybody knows Pop-Up that, it's just jokes plus history of the video, like back, you know, yeah, like, factoids and um, background, yeah, information and stuff like that. But it was, it was fun. But you had to do two of them a week. I was the only woman in the writers' room, so it was, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah, it was hilarious. Where do you hilarious. go? And then for we that... got on Emmy nomination. Where do you go for that research? Like, we had researchers, and they actually would kind of get, they would get people on set, like hairstylists or costume designers or anybody who did, who was there and stuff like oh, that, or. Okay. Some of the time it was people who were actually in the video. Like one of my videos was Nelly Furtado. And we actually talked to Nelly Furtado with that. Oh, wow. So it's, or, yeah. So it was like, you know, like I did one of my, I, you know, I love the 90s R&B. Who doesn't? So we did the SWV video, The cool. Week, which is incredible. If you watch it, it's about boxing. I can't. It's literally the most brilliant thing in the entire world. Yeah. So we talked to a bunch of people on that video, which was great. I did uh, like Lauren Hill or something like that. So it's fun, but you do get people kind of who work the, who worked the uh, the video, usually oh, okay. usually hair and makeup, yeah. So this is probably yeah. totally out there. You get an Emmy nomination. Do you get, yeah. for, like, okay, we watch Emmys, we see all the stars in the front. Mm -hmm. Do you get to go? No. No. I no. think they, no, I think they went. That's very, it's a very writerly thing to do, to be like, mm, I'm going to pass on that. Um, <laughs> I didn't go. So, it, and it's the one where nobody really, I don't even think, God, this is my memory. God, this is getting actually scary. You know how your memory is just going, going, going? Yeah. It was the one that is the one before the big, the big Emmys. It's like the one that like, the, that like Jennifer Garner hosts like, oh, in, like okay. a week yeah. before. So it's that. And I think a bunch of people from pop-up went and it, I just, that's not my bag. And so I didn't go, but I, I didn't, we didn't get anything. Like we don't get an Emmy. I don't, I don't even think maybe if I pressed it, I could get like a certificate, but I, you don't, you don't get anything except basically calling yourself an Emmy nominee, which is, you know, fine. <laughs> well, you're an Emmy nominee. Yeah. We're impressed. Exactly. Yeah. So your first book, Conversations with the yep. Fat Girl, you delve into sort of the changing nature of friendships and yeah. how body image and that changing over time. Like what was it about those two topics that were important for you to write about? I love digging into female friendships. I think they're one of the most beautiful, complicated, layered relationships out there. All of my books have female friendships at the heart. Usually either that or a dysfunctional family, which I love as well. Yeah. I especially love the concept, and I think it's it's incredibly universal, which is that you have these friends in your life that have known you forever, which is the kind of the core of the novel, 
And there's a point in your adult life where you look back and think, would I be friends with you now? And a lot of the time the answer is no. Yeah. Like if you met them in your 20s as opposed to when you, when you were like 11, that you really and, – and the good thing is is that you know somebody and love somebody authentically and that you've kind of grown up and know you wouldn't have made friends, but you can still kind of connect on an incredibly authentic level. The bad, the bad side of that is when you have not evolved and you are basically trotting out your friendship like company China and that it's really not functional anymore except for kind of, you know, remember that time in junior high school and you kind of haven't really learned how to be adults together. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's what conversations was about, was about that where, especially if you've got one where the story is about Maggie and Olivia, um, they were both heavy kind of growing up and then Olivia lost a bunch of weight and this was the summer before she gets married and Maggie is her um, maid of honor and it's also Maggie is basically the only item from Olivia's past that is a marker that Olivia isn't perfect and so Olivia doesn't like anything about her past including embodied by Maggie and Olivia actually is the hero of F word which is uh, book seven so Yeah, so I think it was just about, I think all of my books deal with figure out who you are and then be that. And so I think body image plays into that a lot with women because we have these kind of perfect versions of ourselves. And usually if you asked that to most women, it would be, well, I'm thin. That's always kind of a default of kind of um, our happiness never always seems to look about 15 pounds lighter than we are. So I think that was just kind of one way to talk about how people feel about themselves and in a very kind of um, tangible way. Yeah. For yourself, have you figured out who you are and are you being that? (laughs) I think I am closer now than I have been only because I think the last three years I have been laid bare. Yeah. Which I think, unfortunately, I think we've all kind of had those moments in our lives where Literally, somebody comes along and sweeps all your shit off your desk, and you're like, all right. And it's like, okay, well, this sucks, but somewhere in the bones of this, I'm going to figure out who I am without all of that stuff that I thought I had to have on the desk. And I think uh, the, the, usually the problem or the, you know, the challenge or the good part, depending on what kind of day it is, is that that phoenix thing, and now that's a verb now, tends to really shine in your writing. But harvesting it is the part that's just painful and hard but wonderful and beautiful and raw and all that kind of stuff. And if you can harness it, that's when the good stuff comes out in the writing. But in harnessing it, it's, it's brutal, yeah. you know, because, you know, pain is hard enough to feel. But for writers and artists, you then have to kind of figure out how to funnel it or turn it into something else or figure out how to make it into art, which is... Mm, really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But so enlightening about your, like you as a human being in that process, rough, like. Yeah. No, I think it's everything. I think it's, I really do. I think it's relearning who I am and kind of what I'm made of and finding that out about me. Cause I do think there's a certain, certain parts of our lives where we just get into these routines and these ruts and we don't, really think about what our lives have are or have become or what we want. Because I think for me, over the, especially since this whole last three years has been completely an upheaval, I realized that my entire life was kind of based on this question of 
not, I didn't know what I wanted out of everything, but I, it was always about what are you going to give me? It wasn't, I didn't, that was the question I asked. Well, what do you want? And I was like, well, what are you going to give me? And it was never like, here's what I want, which I think is the shift happening in me now. Like even from, I was talking to a friend yesterday and we were talking about how it, I started, it started to dawn on me when I was like, you know how everybody goes through a slow cooker phase? Yeah. <laughs> Where they're like, I'm going to get really into slow cooking. Well, so I have this friend who's, you know, everybody always also has a friend who makes cooking look incredibly easy. So I, and I was like, what's, what's a good slow cooker recipe? And she has, of course, has a ton because she's that kind of girl. And she's like, well, what kind of taste do you like? And I literally st- stared at her. <laughs> she had asked me, what's game theory? <laughs> I, I I don't even know. I think I actually could answer what game theory was over what taste I had. Like, I didn't even know, because it's always been like, well, what are you going to give me? Like, I'll make whatever, I'll make do with whatever you give me. Mm-hmm. To the point where I didn't even know what I wanted or needed in a slow cooker recipe. So that was the moment where I thought, I think this is a thing that I need to look at. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest differences in my life, which is, going from what are you going to give me to what do I want? I think that's so fascinating because so many of us, whether it's media or our family of origin or any of that, we have Mm -hmm. these impressions that are built on us of what we should want or what we should expect from our lives and all that kind of stuff. So you're right. Like peeling back those layers of, Ooh, what do I actually want? Can, it's not an easy question. No, what do I want and why do I want it? Yeah. That's the other follow-up question. Because a lot of times it's like, I want this. And it's like, why do you want that? It's like, because then I can show them. Then no, you don't actually want that. Yeah. Because I think that's also part of it. The first line of those answers is usually those external things that we want to kind of point to, to say like, see, we're good enough. Um, But, you know, those are cotton candy. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, sometimes you do want cotton candy. But, you know. So you, part of the beauty of being in the writing world, I mean, both in your yep. day job and in fiction, and you have access to so many incredible writers and their experiences. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there a standout lesson that you've learned from a fellow writer? Yes, and it's actually very nuts and bolts. I went to the LA Times Festival of Books, which is one of the best uh, book festivals. It's incredibly, it's just everything about it. It takes place on takes place now in the, at USC, but back in the day, it was at UCLA. And there was a, uh, it was a panel, and I, had, I didn't know this man, but he was a, an incredible mystery writer. I think he's passed. His name is Donald Westlake. He wrote, a, his famous book was called The Axe. And somebody, and he just wanted, just, he, was, he was just one of those guys that you were like, I will listen to this guy tell any story in the entire world. And somebody asked from the audience, when do you know a book is finished? And he said, when the reader can write the next chapter. I thought, that's brilliant. Interesting. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just a complete, that's it. That's the answer. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's so brilliantly simple and beautiful and elegant and exactly what a guy like him would say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think that's one of my, when I'm in the trenches of not knowing when to end something or not knowing kind of how to end something, I always think about that because then it makes me think about the reader. It makes me think about what, what story we're kind of connecting on together and how to kind of serve them more than serve whatever I'm, I, I can get caught up in sometimes. It puts the focus on the right place. Yeah. So you gave this epic closing keynote at Surrey this past yeah. year and you have 
so graciously shared that full script on your blog, and I will link to that in the show notes. Oh, thank you. And one of the things you talked about was wrestling with what it means to feel like a real writer. Mm -hmm. So for those that haven't weren't there in person or haven't gone to check out your blog post yet, can you expand a little on that? What that was like for you learning to what it means to you to feel like a real writer? Yeah, I think it is the difference between internal and external, which we talked about, which was like defining, letting other people define who you are versus you defining who you are. And then kind of on top of that, putting this importance more on what other people define you as versus what you are. So when in, I believe, 2014, HarperCollins did not pick up my contract, which means that they have a first look. And then usually writers will kind of pitch the next book that they're thinking. And then a publishing house will either say thumbs up or thumbs down. Usually it's thumbs up because they just want to continue working with you. In this instance, it was thumbs down. So I found myself out of contract. And that's kind of what the, what the keynote is about. It starts with that at that moment where I realized that I had nowhere to go. And at that moment, I didn't know. uh, No, at that moment, I I was completely numb. Like, let me be clear. There was no proselytizing about what I thought in that moment. I just was numb and uh, kind of dead inside and continued to be kind of a huff for myself for months. I'd like to say that I figured it out in any kind of timely manner. I did not. I don't think... Well, I don't, I don't know what anybody else is. I don't think people tend to, to. Yeah. I think it's a, a uh, yeah, I think it takes a while. But it's not like a great montage where all of a sudden you're gazing off in the middle distance at an ocean and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, half a, I'm a hospital person. It doesn't work out like that. But at least it didn't for me. You don't live I in think, a movie? What? <laughs> what? Exactly. Yes. And then some, you know, yeah, <laughs> I wish, um, I can hear literally like the cranberries behind me right now <laughs> as I walk across a you know a field. So I think for me it was about no matter what happened and 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 I, I there's a great South by Southwest uh, keynote and it's by Mark Duplass. Mark Duplass is a filmmaker and a writer and stuff like that who, who makes a bunch of stuff. But moreover, the keynote is essentially that he was coming up and he was kind of making these films and and he was saying you keep waiting for the cavalry to come. Like you keep waiting, like I, here's my $3 movie. Here's my $1,000 movie. And then somebody's going to say, look, I, you're, you're doing great. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a contract. And you're like, great. Like, but the point of his whole keynote is that you are your own cavalry. And I didn't know that. I thought that I was going to write something and then somebody fancy was going to pluck me from obscurity and make me important and make me a real writer and make my mom proud of me and all that kind of stuff. And I never thought that I could do that for myself. And I think when you get everything stripped away, you start asking questions like that, or you should. And it was basically me learning how to be my own cavalry so that somebody couldn't then tell me whether or not I was a real writer, that I could kind of feel that to begin with, no matter what. Yeah. If that makes sense. So hard to talk about it without yeah. <laughs> getting getting emotional all over again. So I tend to I'm just like emotionally shutting down. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just and I have to paint a picture for you. I am in BuzzFeed right now, and all of our na- all of our conference rooms are named after fictional places. So I am literally sitting in Atlantis right now, having this conversation with you. <laughs> um, Atlantis. <laughs> 
which is next to, I believe I'm next to, what is it, Springfield? And then I think Springfield is next to Dorn, by the way. And then oh. you go around the corner and you've got Hogwarts and Endor. <laughs> so you're having a very serious compensation meeting in Valhalla. <laughs> so like, nice. Yeah. So yeah. just know that I am sitting in Atlantis right now having a conversation about my feelings. <laughs> I'm trying... <laughs> I see. I'm also trying to picture like the rest of BuzzFeed. I'm like, I feel like there's hammocks somewhere. I feel like there's it's all of that candy. Yeah, it's all yeah. of that. There's cold brew. There's kombucha on tap. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There's kombucha on, on tap. tap. On tap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So okay, if I'm I'm getting my timing right here, and dates have never been my strong suit. But mm. so you're saying the HarperCollins. I believe it was 2014. That happened. Yeah. Yeah, it happened in 2014. And yeah. then you started at BuzzFeed not long after in no. 2015. Then. No, no, yeah. It so was... you went through a mm-hmm. whole rough year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and uh, just, it wasn't great before that. <laughs> it was just like not that bad. <laughs> like, it got yeah. really bad. Yeah, it wasn't that great before that. But yeah, so 2014, the summer, summer 2014. HarperCollins passed and then the and then that's when I kind of pitched the F word in that kind of like Hail Mary in that conversation with my agent so I spent the rest of that year kind of trying to find a pitch for and write um, the first hundred pages of F word which then we got to somebody and then sold god when did we sell that I think it was like I think it was like March March or April and then I got the job in and BuzzFeed in May of 2015 yeah. Yeah. So how does it feel on the other side of it? Or do you feel like you're on the other I side? I don't think I am okay. on that. No, I don't think I'm on the other side of it. I think I am. I think I'm far enough along that I at least know. I, I think it's like, I think I'm far enough along to know that I'm at least in the middle of something. You know how you sometimes you don't even know you're in the middle of something. Yeah. So at least I know now that I'm, 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 doing the thing (laughs) where I don't know what the lessons are yet I think I know like we all all writers we have like we have a whiteboard right or some kind of version of that it's like right now there's a bunch of ideas on the whiteboard about what this time was about (laughs) so I'm brainstorming about what this time is about essentially but I think it's I think it's going to be I do think it's going to be it's going when I look back on my life these these years are going to be incredibly pivotal for what all the less I don't even think I know all the lessons that I've learned and how I'm going to use them in the future. I really don't. I, I don't, I don't think I even know the impact of this time. I feel yet. like there's going to be a book about this. Time I really period. don't. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So is there a next big dream or big goal that you're working on? Yeah. I, um, I actually, this was the first time that I think, and also I think this all comes about the, the vitality and coming back to life and all that kind of stuff. What do I want? This was the first year that I really made goals for the year. You know, in the past, I kind of had a resolution thing. And I did have a resolution, which I wanted to get my phone out of my bedroom. And I wanted to get it in the kitchen so that I wouldn't have it. So that was a resolution easily enough. It wasn't easy at all, by the way. That's me. It was incredibly yeah. hard. It took me, I think it was actually my resolution for, resolution for 2017. <laughs> and it took me literally a year and two months to do it. it. Um, so I made goals for this year. What? But it happened. What? It did happen. God damn it. Um, so the goal for this year, what I've tried to do is actually try to kind of think about not just 
they're very rounded, which is like, so I want to learn how to roast a chicken. I want to, I don't know how to do that. I want a signature salad. You know what? I'm, I just really want a signature salad. I want to keep a plant I'm alive so for proud you. of you. I've seen that on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda is blossoming <laughs> and doing well. It's her second month of life. I'm incredibly proud of my child. I also want, um, there's a lot of, I, I, it, it, there's 21 things actually. And it's like, I want to plan a trip. I want to go on a trip. I want to, so there's, I think there's, what I'm finding is, and there's also like a bunch of goals for writing. Like I want to write a pilot. I want to write a, I want to adapt one of my books. I want to not only finish book eight, but I've, I have a great idea. It's a little bit beyond my grasp, which is kind of amazing and scary for book nine. So I want to pitch and propose and hopefully write another hundred pages by the end of the year, book nine. So I have all these kind of amazing things. I also like what's like, I also think about like if, if there's a story or a person or a, theme or something that I'm trying to, to say, what's the preschool pitch? Like, what's the preschool show that, 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 like, is there a preschool show of like smarty girls yeah. trying to, you know, figure stuff out? And so is there a preschool pitch? Is there like a, a six-year-old cartoon that's that? Like, what's the full kind of lifespan of what I'm trying to say, I guess. It's kind of like, and also like, what's the empire? Like, you know, you look at Shondaland and you're like, that's an empire. And it's kind of based on this theme and this voice. And this is how she's kind of doing that. It's like thinking about it like that and, and being my own cavalry. I think the dreams this year are a lot yeah. bigger. I, I so, love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm a huge traveler. So, well, I was before I had a child. Um, so <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you need any uh, ideas, just let me know. I'm a big fan of. Oh, I will. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I just drive up the coast. That's all. California, I just keep driving up the coast. Well, that's it. That's my only trip. It sure trip. is pretty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's my favorite place in the world. So I have some funny funny questions for you. You, If you follow, sure. if anyone follows you on Instagram, you have this fun weekend <laughs> habit of doing yep. L- LA right. renovation tours. How did, how did, yes, how did that get started? You know, it's it, me and my mom. My mom is an incredible, who's just a character. Me, me and my mom, we have our Saturdays where we go to, uh, we go, we have lunch. Uh, and it's hilarious because it's my mom. Like, I pick her up because she's not trying to drive, right? So there's that. I, and by the way, the restaurant that we go to lunch is literally a mile from my house. But I drive like, all the way over to pick her up. And I drive immediately back <laughs> to my house. It's hysterical. As you do, because that's yeah. my mom. So, and then we go, we have lunch at the same place. I pick her up literally at 1045 in the morning because we're 90 years old, the pair of us. So we go and we have lunch. We get there right at 11 with all the other 90 year olds and we have lunch and then we drive around Pasadena and we look at all of the houses that are being renovated. And my mom is like a savant at this stuff. Like she just knows stuff and knows how to design. And, you know, it's one of those things also, I think, especially with women and where you don't know that that's a skill because it comes so naturally yeah. to you that you don't get that other people don't do that. Like, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, I don't know why she knows that that's how you would redo that yeah. house, but she's incredible. And the, the architecture in Pasadena is, is gorgeous. It's the, it's the, the root of the craftsmen, like, you know, green and green live there. We have the Gamble house. We have all the gorgeous yeah. craftsmen. So it's, a, it's, it's rooted in architecture and beautiful singular architecture. So it's a wonderful city to kind of drive around it. But it literally is, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I love it. <laughs> have to say, math is not your guys' strong suit. <laughs> oh, my, my favorite God. is when you're, like, <laughs> trying to price things out and you're like, maybe we're about 40 grand off there. 
we were forty thousand dollars off. We were trying to figure out the price of shingles, and we said we said it was twelve thousand, and it turned out to be fifty thousand. <laughs> You know, just a super affordable roof for the average American. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. God bless us. And it took us, it took us a half hour. We were pulled on the side of the road for a half hour. Trying I, to do I'm like, it's just one of my favorite things to see on Instagram. Like, it's, you know, people take pictures of their food. Oh, I love your renovation tours. Oh. Yeah. Like, oh gosh. Good yeah. Times. So yeah. you're also a huge romantic comedy fan, if I am correct in saying this. Okay. Yep. Do you have a favorite written romantic comedy and a favorite movie TV romantic comedy? I will. I will forever. I mean, Nora Ephron is my yeah. everything. Um, I love Nora Ephron. I also love Mara Brock Akeel. She did Love and Basketball back in the day, which is one of the most perfect movies yeah. of all time. I just, you know, not having the proposal yep. great. Solid, solid rom-com, and one of the most perfect rom-coms of all time, Bridget Jones' Diary. Yes. I mean, you can't, you know, but of course, like, I'll watch, like, my favorite rom-coms are also just the Austins and how people, you know, the Pride and, no, the Pride and Prejudice, I love, but I actually, I really do like the Joe Wright version, too, because it's just so beautiful. I have both. I know there's a lot of big Colin Firth fans. I've got both of them. I also love Sense and Sensibility, which is gorgeous. I love the Emma with Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow. I also love the Persuasion with Sally Hawkins. Oh, I love it. Which I had to buy the D. I know, and Rupert Henry Jones. I had to buy that off of Amazon as a DVD, by the way. It wasn't streaming yeah. anywhere. So, yeah, I, it's, it's, just, it's just a wonderful, glorious world. To oh, I legit, to. when I was in Bath, like, had to... I didn't. I didn't run it because I thought people would stare at me. But I was like, I'm legit walking this area where she does the run at the end and the yes. like. Yeah. Oh God. The letter clutching yep. her hand. Come on. Oh, oh, and he's gosh. just so. Yep. Bliss. Great. Oh no, that's he's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than Wentworth. It really no. does. And like he was. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. There are no words. No. I would, I, I would take Wentworth over Darcy, I, I got to tell you. You know? Ooh. I know. That's a big statement. I know. You are silent. You are shocked Ooh. quiet on the other end. Yeah. I know. I would take Wentworth over Darcy. Maybe it's just because I've I would seen take, Darcy so I many Wentworth times. I my number one. That it's just like, mm. oh, yeah, but hmm, interesting. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to think on that for a bit. Think. Yeah. Percolate. You'll get back to me. <laughs> so we're going to wrap up with the five questions I ask all the lovely ladies who have been on the podcast. So first one is, what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up in a good way? Things that are just beyond my grasp. Okay. Um, so it's a story or a book that I don't quite know how to tell yet. I also love when I figure out a story that isn't going to be told in the way that I usually write something, which is, is it a comic? Is it a, is it a pilot? Is it something that is in a new medium that is a new way to tell a story? That really gets me yeah. going. Oh, great. I like that. Like the, the yeah. challenge and the being able to work towards that and figure it out. And yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it's a puzzle. Right. And I think that's always like, it's, it's a little crossword. It's, it's why we love doing those puzzles. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's the it's Rubik's great. cube of writing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What's the most inspiring book that you read in the past few years, or your favorite um, book that you read in the past? Okay, few it's years? a comp. Inspiring. Okay, so I uh, 
one of my goals for the uh, we talked about this is finishing the G, the GD Game of Thrones. I'm on I'm on book four. It's taking forever. That's inspiring just because his world building is incredible. So I've written I've read a lot. Anything Brene Brown writes, yeah. I'll read. It's it's the Rising Strong, Daring Greatly, Gifts of Imperfections are. So I, Rising Strong is my jam. That's the one. Also, that's also what I listened to, like, literally for the first year, driving to and from work for the first time. And I was like, I think I'm yeah. going through something. Um, yeah. But it didn't, I didn't realize that six months in, by the way. I li- realized it one year in. I had been listening to the same self-help book for one year and didn't realize that I was going through something. She's the mom we all, oh, like, the, she's oh, the, the second mind. mom we all want, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's literally my hero. She can, I, I, I literally... I, and, huh, she's she's incredible talking about vulnerability and shame. It's 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 remarkable revolutionary work. There's also a book I'm also doing the artist's way, which I think is I'm doing it with a little cluster of, of writer oh, friends. It's incredibly it's it's very 90s. It's very there's a there's a lot of woo woo in there, but she does this these weekly things where you have to kind of think about writing in this way. It's a workbook um, and it's incredible. Like she talks about jealousy, perfection, risk. You have to do morning pages, which is essentially kind of getting out the cobwebs and you just feel lighter and you take yourself on an artist date, which is just you by yourself for no reason, which women have a very hard yeah. time doing. Stuff like that. It's been incredible. It's, it, and it seems to hit you at the right time when you do it. I highly recommend it. There's also a book called Hitmakers, which it's basically like why people like stuff. And it's incredible. It's like it makes you feel better about you know, things aren't popular because they're better. There's a whole amazing science to why things are popular. Yeah. And it's nice to know that when you start wondering why your writing isn't good enough and to make you a bestseller, it's like bestsellers are bestsellers for a yeah. lot of reasons. And it's, it's just the science of it is incredible. So that was, that was really cool. I still think about yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Oh no! Oh my God! A favorite quote. I I go through these phases, and I think it depends on what what my phases are. I for a long time over my desk I had "Let slip the dogs of war," which was it's a Julius Caesar quote, which is incredible. For a, I had that one over my desk for a long time. Right now I have one of my favorite pieces of writing of all time is the note that they write in Breakfast Club. Yeah. To, to Mr. Vernon. It's a, just a beautiful piece of writing. I love it. That's over my desk. Not for nothing. Elizabeth Boyle, yeah. who is, she's a, a favorite of Surrey. I was panicking about some writing or whatever. I could panic about a lot of stuff. But she said, just take a deep breath and write. And I literally have that on a sticky on my, on my, my, my computer right now. Take a deep breath and write. It's just so simple. So I think it depends on what I need to know at yeah. that time. Let go and be or be dragged is a great one, it, but it depends. They're so they seem to find you when you yeah. need them, and they do kind of go through. So it's so those are the ones I'm going through right now. But I'm sure there'll be different ones later. And what's 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 great is I'll remember some great quotes five minutes after we hang up this phone. That's what so Twitter is that, for. I can look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the Breakfast Club thing, did you ever see the documentary of these kids that go and try and find? Why am I going to blank on the writer's name right now? Yes, John, John Hughes? Hughes. No. It's, I think it's called like Searching for John Hughes or Finding John Hughes or Ooh, something like I that. Either. And it was when he was, I, th- I think he's passed away, but when he was still alive and sort of like living remotely and like, it was really fascinating. Yeah. And like they get to his house and 
Okay. I won't tell you the ending, but yeah. Ooh, I'm. I'll, yeah, I definitely. Watch I feel that. like it was on Netflix That's that great. one time, but probably not anymore. Yeah. It'll be on the on the interwebs right. somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere. This is Googleable. Yes. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? Lately, it's been, once again, I think it, they tend to find you when you need them the most. I, Be Your Own Cavalry yeah. is, uh, I live by that now. The other one, we had an amazing panel come into BuzzFeed and Paula Madison, if you just want to look up somebody who you want to be when you grow up, Paula Madison like owned, she bought the LA Spark. She was like president of like, she's just an incredibly accomplished woman. And she came in to talk to BuzzFeed and she said two things that I like still am thinking about, which was, and for writers and artists, and I know this is going to, and she said this at our job, which was hysterical because she doesn't care. She said, your corporate gig should be your side hustle. You should always think about your corporate gig as your side hustle, which I think is incredibly yeah. important, especially for artists and writers. And the second one is somebody in the audience asked her about imposter syndrome. And she said, you need to get comfortable with power. And, and you need to wear it like a suit. And I know that I don't, I'm not comfortable with power and you can tell because I think that's part of leadership. That's part of like understanding that you are somebody to be um, listened to. So that's still kind of going on. I also had a piece of advice from a friend. One of my first scripts, I, I write also for Marvel and I wrote, I wrote a script for Spider-Man and I wrote a script for Guardians of the Galaxy, their cartoon thing. What? Marvel is, I know Marvel is an incredible place to work. They, it's complete parody in those rooms. It's 50-50 women and men. It's wonderful. When you first have a script, they pair you with somebody. So you co-write the first time. You do, they, they're just wonderful. They really are. But they give a lot of notes because they're Marvel and they do a good job. And I didn't know. And, you know, you want to be perfect. It's the whole thing. You want to do a good job. And so I went and it was it was bad timing, but it was it was a Christmas party for my little writers group. And it was that night, and I could only come and, and bring my, my dish, which, by the way, was chicken nuggets, which are a huge hit, yeah. by the way, for any party. Everybody wants them all the time. I bring tons of chicken nuggets and all the yeah. sauces, because most times people don't get all the sauces. They get just the one. They go first. I'm telling you, the chicken nuggets. So I dropped off the chicken nuggets, and I was like, okay, I got to go. And on the way out, I said I was talking to somebody about that the, the draft was due like the next day or a couple of days, and I had to go. And my friend said, it's just mechanics. It's just mechanics because I started to get in my head about whether or not I was good enough. Was I a good enough writer? And it's like, no, it's just mechanics. That's it. Get out of your head about it. And it, it, it did it. It's exactly the the pop of the balloon that I needed. Yeah. So my last very Oprah like question is (laughs) Liza, what does it mean to you to live your best life? Be real. Yeah. Be real. There's the, the cost is too high not to be. It's just is too high. You're going to, it's just living as some other version of yourself that you think is more palatable or more perfect or more wherever is you're, it, you don't. And the sad thing is you don't know what's happening. You really don't. And it's hard and it's raw and it's vulnerable, but to be real is to be alive and around. It's everything. That audiobook sunk in. No. No. <laughs> My gosh. I love it. I love her. I love her I so know. much. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much for yeah. being on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. This was such a delight. Oh, 
Oh, you guys, I love Liza. I could have talked to her for two hours. She was so funny. She's so witty. And I think you'll agree with me when you hear her answers and her descriptions of things, you can tell she's a writer. And it's funny because I like to think of myself as a writer, but I don't think I speak in that same way. Like I have to edit and, you know, do many rewrites to come up with the kinds of metaphors that Liza does. And yet this is just how she talks. I'm so amazed. I'm so impressed. Now, she definitely has me rethinking whether or not I'm a Darcy or a Wentworth person. So you're going to have to tweet us and let us know. So you can tweet me at Girl Tries Life and you can tweet Liza at Liza Palmer and let us know who you're preferring, Wentworth or Darcy. We need to know. This is this is a big debate. And again, you can find all the information and the resources listed uh, at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash five three. What I want to find out from you also, and tag us on social media, let us know, let me know how you're being your own cavalry. That was the biggest thing I took away from this interview with Liza is that, and I've, I've heard it said in different ways before, you know, be your own cheerleader, be your own, you know, your own cheering section, all that kind of stuff. But be your own cavalry is just so much more powerful, right? Like you have to be in your corner. You have to be pushing yourself forward and fighting for what you want to do. Nobody else is going to care about your dreams as much as you do. So that really stuck with me. And uh, yeah, so I would love to hear, and I'm sure Liza would as well, how you are being your own cavalry today. So until next time, have a fantastic week. (music) 